0: Amen. Well, I'm going to turn this morning to Acts chapter 17. It's a bit of a unique portion of Scripture this morning. The title of the sermon is Paul's Preaching in Athens. Um, Paul's method is different in some ways here in Athens, which was the, I'm going to read from 17 from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Athens was kind of the philosophical capital in that, the known world at that time. Acts 17 and verse 16. We'll hear the word of God together. Then we'll see what we can glean from it. Acts 17, 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God, notice verse 24, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring." by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So the title of the sermon this morning is Paul's Preaching in Athens. Paul's Preaching in Athens. The question is, can the gospel break through in Athens? This would be not quite like the modern day New York or anything like that. It's a very different city then to somewhere like New York, but it would certainly have been one of the most Influential cities in the then known world. We don't know what was happening in the Far East and China and places like that. We have no idea. But in terms of the New Testament world, this was one of the most influential cities. And can the gospel break through in Athens? Paul's going to be preaching there. And indeed, the gospel comes to Athens. And what we learned this morning is it was a city full of idols. A city full of idols. And believe it or not, many of those Greek and Roman idols are all across our own country today. We're just not even aware that they're there. And we'll look at that later on to see the idolatrous ideas and influences that affect our own society. And so what we find in some of the false gods there were uh, in Athens was Pluto. I'm sure you've heard of Pluto because of Walt Disney and things like that. Pluto, who was the god of the underworld. But he wasn't a Walt Disney character. He was a, an idol who was worshipped. Mercury. Have you heard of Mercury? Not this, the, the metal, but he was the god of financial gain and was prominent uh, in Roman religion. Or Zeus. Have you heard of Zeus? He was the chief god of what was uh, became the Pantheon. Have you heard of the Pantheon that they eventually built in Rome? And it's, it's even there to this day. And it's this round room, this huge room with an open towards the heavens. And what they did in Rome many uh, years later, beyond Paul's life, I believe, but they put all different Greek and Roman gods all around. And the message was, they're all equal. Let's just worship them all. And let's not argue about this. Let's just accept all of these idols together and that's what the pantheon was and so in 2 corinthians chapter 10 what we learn is that paul says that there can be strongholds and there was a spiritual stronghold over athens which was idolatry and we've got three headings for us you imagine if uh, you were a friend of the apostle paul and the apostle paul said to you i'm about to go to athens And I'm going to preach. What do you think I should preach on in Athens? I'm not asking you to call out this morning, but I wonder what you would not kind of advise the apostle Paul, but what would you say to him? I think you should really focus on this Paul when you're there. And Paul, as this inspired apostle of God, he preaches on three things in Athens. And I think these three things can teach us a lot about what our own society is in the United Kingdom needs. Paul preached three things, and these are our three headings. He preached Jesus and the resurrection. That's the first thing that he preached, Jesus and the resurrection. Secondly, he preached monotheism. Monotheism. Now, let me just qualify that a bit more. But mono, By monotheism, Paul means that there is one and only one God, And that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. So it's not that there are different religions that believe there's one and only God. He's saying there is one and only one God. And thirdly, he preached the day of judgment. The day of judgment. So let's take a look at 17 and verse 16, where we begin. On our first setting, preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Where else should Paul begin but Jesus? But not only Jesus but the resurrection and of course these people had not heard of Jesus. Have you met people in Britain today? They, they have heard of Jesus but they don't know what Jesus taught. If you say to people uh, have they heard of you know in, in Athens have you heard of Pluto? Well of course they'd say we've heard of Pluto. Uh, and what about Zeus? Yes of course we know Zeus but Jesus they didn't know and we have millions of people in our own nation today who know virtually nothing about Jesus they would say of course i know of jesus but if you began to look at what jesus said they would most likely reject it and paul begins in 17:16 it says he was waiting for them in athens his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols so he reasoned in the synagogue with the jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So what we find is he he sees that Athens is full of all these different idols, but he goes to the synagogue. Why does he go to the synagogue? Almost every city where there is a synagogue, he will go there and begin to teach about Jesus and the resurrection to the Jews. But he also goes beyond the synagogue, as we find there, It goes into the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. Now, let's just stop there for a moment because um, Athens was a very different city to our own city. You know, if we went to Sheffield markets and, and began to reason with people, they'd say, well, look, I've not come here to reason with you. I've come to buy myself some chicken or whatever, wouldn't they? Now, but what we need to remember, if you've ever been to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park, Uh, where you can stand up and give a speech on anything. Well, it seems like the marketplaces in Athens was much more like that. So people wanted to hear new ideas, and you could debate all these new ideas. That was the whole atmosphere of the city. So we need to be careful as we think through how on earth can we reach out to the lost, of which there are millions in our own nation today. It's far from an easy challenge. But, so the context of Athens, it seems like a lot of the city was like speaker's corner where you could debate ideas. But there were two philosophers in particular, because opposition began to rise to what Paul was preaching. And in verse 18, there were two philosophical groups in particular. We don't know a lot about them. One was called the Epicureans, and the other one was, was Stoicism. Now, what did they believe? Well, it seems like Epicureanism is similar to a lot of our own society. That philosophy taught materialism, and they taught that there's no such thing as divine intervention. It's kind of a, a form, really, of, of atheism, really. Do we find that today? Uh, people may say, okay, I believe you're a Christian. We don't want to disrespect Christians. Uh, we believe that, uh, you know, that's okay for you to be a Christian and believe that. But if you say to them, do you believe that the Christian God and the Christian God is the only God and that he can divinely intervene into this nation, they would say, don't be silly. We don't believe that. And so the same opposition that Paul faced and Stoicism was started about three centuries before Paul came to preach here. And they taught the pursuit of virtues as its goal. Now, this is not identical but you meet many people today who would say the the chief pursuit of a human being is to be good and nice to people, wouldn't you? But that's very similar. And so when, to what, uh, what Stoicism may well have taught, the chief end was the pursuit of virtues as a goal. And so what did they say about Paul? Did they say it was wonderful? Look at what they say in verse 18. Some said... What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They accuse him of being a babbler who was just babbling on about his own ideas. But what did he preach? Our first heading Paul focused on preaching Jesus and preaching the resurrection both of which ran contrary to the ideas in Athens and ran contrary to people's thoughts, as they do today, preaching Jesus that Jesus is the Savior of sinners and also that he he had not only suffered, but he'd been raised from the dead. And What do we find quite often is that in the book of Acts we see the emphasis on the resurrection, not only the death of Jesus, but that he was raised from the dead as well. Now, I mentioned that our nation has lots of false gods. And if you go around London, for example, if you go to somewhere like Piccadilly Circus, have you been to Piccadilly Circus? There is this statue, and you'll find them all over London in lots of different places. There, uh, there's this statue of the Greek goddess Antaros. Many people think it's Eros, but it's actually the Greek god Anteros, I believe, which is the goddess of requited love. And what we find is we go around our nation that in many places, Greek and Roman gods, there are statues to them all over the place, And many of our top civil servants are trained in Greek classics. And so the pervading view is this whole idea that, you know there are many different gods. And, and then we wonder, well, why is the gospel opposed? And the gospel will always be opposed by anti-Christian forces which run in the very opposite direction of the gospel. And for us in the church, as Paul is preaching, our hope is in the eternal Lord who has revealed his name is Jesus and the power of the message of what we believe this morning is rooted in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so we see that was what he began to preach first of all. Now, if I said, before we get to our second heading on monotheism, if you say to people, do you believe in Britain today? Do you believe in Jesus? They'd say yes. And then you would say, well, that's wonderful. So you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, well no, I don't believe in that at all. Well, you just said you believed in Jesus. So you could say a bit further, so you believe that all of the religions are false. No, no, well, but listen, I don't believe in that, Jesus. But that is the message of what Jesus brought. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So we see the exclusive claims of Jesus, which suddenly begin to create resistance and opposition, which is our second heading, what Paul goes on to preach. Paul goes on to preach monotheism. Here he is in this this city of idols, all these different statues and temples, and now he begins to preach monotheism in, in verse 22. Look at what he says. He says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you proclaim, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And now Paul uses. Paul's very well-read. Paul is obviously some kind of a genius. He's very well-read. He begins to cite to them Greek poets. He can cite from the Greek, from the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, and he can make reference to all these different sources. And sometimes Christians can go to Acts 17 and say, look at how Paul is using all these different sources. Therefore, we should. You even get this kind of idea sometimes that people saying, "Well, we should, as preachers, we should start off our sermons quoting the Radio Times or something, uh, as if that's what Paul was doing." Well, Paul wasn't citing just the uh, the general literature. What he's doing, he's making reference to their own poets to preach monotheism. And this is now going to really raise the temperature in Athens as it would raise the temperature today, wouldn't it? If you preach and say, uh, preach Jesus that he's the only way and the resurrection that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then secondly, to preach monotheism and to tell people that this God I'm going to present to you is the only God and there is none other. Immediately, that will be resisted, as it was in Athens. If you look in verse 24, what does Paul preach? He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and everything. And so what we find is that the Apostle Paul, preaching monotheism, that he's telling them this, that this God that he's preaching is the one who made the world. The one who made the world, and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. What's one of the biggest challenges that we face today in our society? It's the idea that not only God doesn't exist, but that we have evolved from nothing, that we haven't been created by God and by this one God, that we've just uh, kind of just developed and evolved over millions and even billions of years. This is exactly the opposite of what biblical monotheism teaches. I'm going to say it one more time. In verse 24, Paul preaches in Athens the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples made by man. And this message really desperately needs to be recovered in the church again today. We know it will be resisted, as Paul was, when you preach that there's only one God and only one God through which we are to worship, but not only one God, there's only one God who created everything. And he also is the Lord of heaven and earth. I was in a funeral recently and there was little mention of God Um, In some ways, those kinds of funerals sometimes are better when a funeral that pretends to be Christian and gives the complete opposite message to what the Bible teaches. Um, But there came to a committal of the dead person. It was a cremation. And then this committal, uh, this man was some kind of a, I don't think he was the secular society, but it was almost like that. And I thought, what's he going to say now regarding the deceased person at the end of the funeral. And he committed, the words were hard to kind of pin down, but one of the things he did was, he committed the deceased person to the cycle of life. You think, what kind of a committal is that? It's very, very different to what the Bible teaches The Bible has nothing to do with reincarnations, I'm sure you would agree. The Lion King talks about the cycle of life, but that's not the message of the gospel. Firstly, Paul preaches Jesus and the resurrection. Secondly, he preaches monotheism, that there's only one God, and in verse um, 27, he says that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Some people think that Paul's preaching there about certain Greek legends, which he may well have been doing, which they would have been aware of, but he tells them, In him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. These are Greek poets. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then, verse 29, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. So there's nothing we can do to paint to tell people what God is like. And before I come to our third and last heading, if we see how some of these things have really infiltrated into broad Christianity. Have you ever heard of St. Christopher? Ever heard of St. Christopher? I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I came across the idea from someone that you know you wear this medallion of saint christopher around your neck and and he's supposed to be the patron saint of traveling he'll protect you when you travel i knew very little about it but the, the whole idea of these pagan deities that there are different gods who you appeal to in the greek world for different things some of that is in broad christianity like saint christopher you go to him for this and you go to this other saint for something else my name is is kevin and i remember going to southern ireland a number of years ago i was over in southern ireland and we went to where uh, kevin was they call him Saint kevin Uh, and he may well have been a committed christian kevin but under roman catholicism today there's all kinds of ideas that have developed about saint kevin and all kinds of myths and one myth which clearly is not true is that he put his hand out in the air, and a blackbird came and nested in his hand for three months and then flew away. And so he's now the patron saint of blackbirds. Now, it seems laughable, but there are, what happens is in, in broad Christianity that there are different saints that you're supposed to appeal to for different things, and that is kind of Greek and Roman religious ideas which the bible knows nothing about there's only one person whom we go to to approach god and it is jesus christ our lord who is the living savior we don't go to mary we don't go to different saints to appeal to them we don't pray to saints and if you challenge someone sometimes who who worships saints what do they say oh i'm not worshiping the saints i'm just uh, giving them honor but they're they are approaching God, and the Bible tells us in, in, uh, in, in elsewhere that there's only one mediator between God and man, and that one mediator is Jesus Christ. So the first thing that Paul does, he preaches Jesus and the resurrection. Secondly, he preaches monotheism, but by monotheism that there is one and only one God and this God is the creator revealed in the Bible, such as the first verse of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and thirdly and lastly, Paul then preaches the day of judgment. And if you look together in verse 30, towards the end of Paul's sermon, it says, "...the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent." To repent of what? Well, in Athens, it was to turn away from all these different idols and to turn to the one true and living God. In 31, because he is fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So the assurance that we have is that the resurrection of Jesus, he preaches to the Athenians, that that's an assurance to us, that God has fixed a day by which all of mankind will be judged. And that's the end of the sermon for Paul, right there. The question is, what will happen? Well, whenever we preach the gospel as Paul does, We're also to give a free gospel invitation to call people to come to this one God through Jesus Christ. And so, Paul has preached, he's explained who Jesus is, and that Jesus is not only Savior and Lord, but is also Judge. And that whether people believe it or not, it may be ignorance, it may be, maybe not, but we will all be judged. And Sar- uh, uh, not sorry, not Psalm, but the larger catechism, question 105 says this, what sins are forbidden in the first commandment? That's interesting, isn't it? What sins are forbidden in the first commandment? And the answer is this, that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And then it goes on in the catechism to explain this, the sins that are forbidden are atheism or in denying or not having a God, idolatry in having or worshipping more gods uh, than one instead of the true God. So it is a sin according to the Bible and the explanation here to promote atheism. And how common is that today? It's almost culturally acceptable it's almost prideful to say oh i'm an atheist and brazen proud evolutionary anti-christian atheism but the bible presents to us a very different picture there's one true god who is the trinity the father the son and the holy spirit and there's only one way that we can access this one god and it's through jesus christ and we come to God through Jesus to ask for forgiveness for our sins. And those whose sins are forgiven and cleansed through the blood of Jesus that Jesus shed on the cross and on the base of his resurrection, they will also be judged. We will all be judged, but the sheep and the goats will be separated out. And so therefore, for those who are in Christ, we don't need to be afraid of that judgment, but actually to look forward to it but for those who do not know christ it will be a most scary day and this is one of the reasons why we do and we must pray for a reviving work how many people are there within the an hour's drive of where we are this morning who know nothing of the gospel of god how many people in this country died last night not a vouching god rejecting jesus christ and went to a lost eternity how tragic is that so we see as we close this morning that paul preached jesus and the resurrection he preached monotheism the one god who is the creator and the redeemer but also the day of judgment and we see that what paul is preaching fits our own day perfectly and how people in our own day need this same message again and we should pray for that that the gospel would progress to the ends of the earth and we're thankful that in verse 33 we find this that uh, some men joined him and believed and then there are two names that are mentioned Dionysius the Areopagite And a woman named Damaris. So there wasn't the same large scale fruit in Athens that there was elsewhere, but there was fruit, and the gospel prevailed in Athens. And for that, we can thank.